This is episode number 67 with keynote speaker and author Anwar Juma Boy. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Before we drop into the episode, a quick message from our sponsor, 919 Marketing. I've worked with 919 Marketing for years and there's no one I trust more with my marketing needs in any of our businesses. I've worked with them in our franchise businesses, in my consulting business. I've worked with them on the franchisor side and I love working with 919 because they take the time to listen. They take the time to understand what it is I'm looking to accomplish through my marketing, who I'm trying to reach, and then they help me put a plan together to do just that. I've worked with tons of marketing companies over the years, and too often it's a one-size-fits-all approach, but not with 919 Marketing. In addition to that, they've developed some amazing technology called 919 Insights, franchising's first and only AI-powered analytics platform. With 919 Insights in place, 919 Marketing can identify the exact topics that matter to your franchise candidates and provide the specific roadmap to help your brand become the highest ranking and most trusted resource when they're searching for answers. So if you're ready to start getting better results from your marketing, and if you want a free demo of 919 Insights, reach out to Graham Chapman at 919-459-8157 or send them an email at gchapman at 919marketing.com to schedule your free demo today. So whether you're a franchisor, a franchisee, or just getting started in your first franchise business, make sure to check out 919 Marketing and tell them West Barefoot sent you. Now, let's drop into the episode. Well, we're back with another amazing guest here on the Path to Freedom podcast. My guest today is Anwar Jumaboy. Anwar is a keynote speaker, a facilitator, a coach, and the co-author of Nine Entrepreneurisms. And Anwar works with companies of all sizes to help them embrace more of an entrepreneurial culture within their organization to empower their employees and their teams to think about how the business could be run differently. And Anwar talks in this episode about how companies being able to embrace this mindset and and establish this sort of a culture internally is so critical to their success, especially over the long term, because as we all know, companies need to continue to evolve and they need to make sure they don't become stagnant uh, in a world that is ever-changing, where the marketplace is ever-changing. And he also shares some examples of how the pandemic has really put a spotlight on just this, 
Uh, in addition to that, Anwar talks about his book, Nine Entrepreneurisms and the Nine Essential Traits of Entrepreneurship. He talks about how an individual can embrace this, how an organization of any size can embrace this. So really fascinating topic. Anwar is a fascinating guy, lives in Malaysia. He's worked all over the world in a variety of different industries. He's been an entrepreneur himself. So really, really interesting guy, tons of value here. And I'm excited to have him on the podcast. So let's go ahead and drop in with Anwar Jumaboy. Such a cool thing to, to have someone on the other side of the world joining me on the podcast. We were just talking offline. There's, a I think, a 12-hour difference. So it's morning for me, night for Anwar. But here we are about to have a conversation. And, and I'm excited to, to have you on the show, Anwar, because, uh, you know, we had a conversation uh, prior to this. And I know that your experience and, and all of your insight is going to really add a lot of value to the audience. So I'm excited for you to, to share some of that with us. But, you know, on that note, for those listening that may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us what you, you focus on professionally and, and uh, a little bit of your background. Sure. I mean, I, I now spend my time uh, keynote speaking to audiences, uh, pretty much companies. So companies that you know, really need to get a new direction or find a purpose. So I, mm -hmm. I, I spend a bit of time on that. I do a bit of coaching as well, one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I sort of evolved and got to hear from uh, a very sort of zigzag, uh, zigzag uh, career, right? So I had bouts of being an entrepreneur. Uh, twice it ended poorly. And uh, <laughs> first time, you know, you raise money from friends and family and, uh, and you have to be able to, and it's always tough raising money from family, right? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. if you lose, if you lose it and you have siblings and, you know, I mean, it's a little, it's tough, right? To go and explain that, okay, you know, we all, we got to write off this investment and yes, I was responsible and you have to keep quiet and, and, and take, uh, and take it. Um, and then the second time was a larger fund. So. Yeah, it's that's a very hard conversation to have, and I work with a lot of people to to help them get into business for themselves, and and you know making sure they have a good funding strategy as part of that, and going to friends and family is always kind of the last resort that I would recommend to someone. It's um, it's usually the final option that we explore if we've hit dead ends everywhere else for that exact reason. And the, you have the other side, right? When it goes really well and friends and family say, hey, why don't you include us? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? If you're successful, you got the people that are like, hey, why wasn't I included? Uh, you didn't ask me for money. And and if you, you know, if you mess up and, and lose the money, you got people upset with you for that reason, too. So, yeah, kind of a rock and a hard place scenario. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a good point. That's correct. So, so tell us a little bit more about your your entrepreneurial ventures, though, because you know, in talking to you earlier, I got the sense that that's kind of a key experience in your life that's led you to the point where you are today, and being able to, you know, speak to to other organizations and and do some of the coaching that you do. That's right. I mean, so you know, we all we all we all learn from it, whatever that happens, right? Good, bad, ugly. And I tell a lot of people, uh, you know, come to me and say, I've got a difficult boss. Well, you can learn from a difficult boss as well as you can learn from a, a great boss, right? Yes. So I, I, my first sort of bout of being an entrepreneur was investing in a, in a franchise. So I bought a couple of franchises and operated them. 
for a couple of years in in kids gymnastics and computer skills. Mm-hmm. You know, I sort of look back and say, okay, it didn't work because whilst I liked what I was doing, I liked the, the, the purpose of it and the benefit it was giving kids, it wasn't really a business that was sufficient, sufficiently scalable for me. Mm-hmm. And, and we had too much reliance on, on, um, on you know, external teachers. And, and sometimes ah, if, you can okay. scale quick, if you can scale quickly, you can get over that hurdle and you have enough. But at the early stage, when you rely too much, then that was a problem. So that, that business didn't go too well. And then I went back to work. And then some years later, again, invested in a business that was um, manufacturing um, uh, batteries. Okay. And that, that business, we raised funding. Uh, I, operate, I was in the business for a couple of years. We left the business. And it had the problem. Subsequently, of course, it it uh, it had a problem of being unable to scale because of a technology issue. So sometimes in in technology businesses, especially businesses where chemistry is involved, mm. what works in the lab does not always work when you scale up. So you know it works okay in small batches, but sometimes when you scale, somehow you don't seem to get that right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I found that that that. You know, every time I went back to work, you come back to work with a different mindset. And I was coming back to work with very much an entrepreneurial mindset. And I, and I thought, why can't you be an entrepreneur and work for somebody else, right? So, and, and that's really the, the genesis of the idea that you don't have to start a business to be an entrepreneur. You know, look for spaces in your, in your own business. Look for opportunities, things that you can do differently. I love that concept because I, I think there, I mean, I don't think I know because I, I spend so much of my time having conversations with, with people that are in a situation where they are very entrepreneurial. That's how their mind works. And that's what gets them excited is, is kind of wearing that entrepreneurial hat, but they're not in a position where you know they, they can go out and start a business. They're not in a position where they can leave their job with the income and the benefits that they have. And, and maybe they don't have that, that revolutionary idea either for the next best business to start. And, and I specialize in franchising. So I'm able to work with a lot of these people to help them find a great franchise business and, you know, use that as a way to, to kind of catapult themselves into entrepreneurship. And, and there's plenty of franchises out there that will allow someone to keep their, their job, at least in the short term. But that being said, it's it's not the right fit for everyone. And so I, I really do like this concept of, you know, how can an organization create more of an entrepreneurial culture within and kind of empower their their employees to think that way? And my guess is, and, and I know this is something that you talk a lot about, that can help an organization grow in a lot of ways, if they are intentional about trying to create more of that entrepreneurial culture within. No, very true, Wes. And, and you, you look at, the, you know, we, we talk about change and pandemic, you know, and how that's brought about a change. Mm-hmm. But change is, you know, pandemic, what the pandemic has done is made change more visible, made, made change more real to you. But change has always existed, you know, and, and the example I give is, you know, look at an old picture of yourself. You, no matter what you say to yourself, you didn't look the same 10 years ago. No doubt. And, and organizations, you know, now we, we have 
changes happening in the way you do things and we have changes happening in the market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who's the glue? The glue is the people that deal with the market. Mm. And a lot of organizations don't give these people enough respect, don't take into account what they're saying, and suddenly they find that the market drifts away from them. And, and the people have been telling them that. The people have been telling them, let's do something differently. The people have been telling them that this product's not working anymore. The people have been telling them, you know, let's try this change. They, they, they're so wedded to this is the way we do it. And, and, and if you have an organization that's so wedded to this is the way you do it, then why do you want humans? It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good point. And, and, you know, look, even even in my lifetime, there's plenty of examples of uh, massive companies that were incredibly successful for very long periods of time. But yes. they did drift away or the market drifted away from them. And the leadership of those companies was not paying enough attention to what the market the market was dictating. They I, I would assume were not listening to, you know, their employees and their people on the front lines. And and those companies aren't around or they're not anywhere yep. near where they were at, at one point in time. I mean, when I was coming up through business school and stuff, the book Good to Great was was all yes. the rage. And, and it's a good book. I think there's a lot of principles in it, but I forget how many companies he kind of uses as this example of a great company. Right. But over half of them are not companies anymore. <laughs> so I've always well, found that know, a little interesting. Yeah, and, but. And, and, and Jim Collins talks to that about. You know, you've got to be able to be ready for a journey and to be ready for a journey. The, the thing that he talks about a lot is about pacing yourself, mm-hmm. right? So don't, don't exhaust yourself. Be prepared. The thing that he doesn't talk so much about is experiment because, you know, these large companies don't experiment too much. You know, some of them stay out of trouble by buying new products, new lines and getting into new businesses. And, and, and that's the sort of culture that you want to create, right? You want to be able to reward people for taking risks. You want to be able to not slap them around if, if things go wrong, right? And yeah. the most wonderful example was earlier this year when, you know, Musk, Elon Musk had one of his spacecraft, you know, crash. And, you know, it was, it was, on, it was, on, it was a webinar, right? So he webcast the whole thing. Yeah. And, and the announcer said, well, you know, we learned a few things and we'll be back with um, the next version. So it was no like, oh, crap, with some, this is really, you know, gone wrong. Yeah. You, you've got to test and tests cost money. But if you don't test, then as Jeff Bezos says, you end up with having to do a Hail Mary, uh, a Hail Mary bet. And, and that doesn't go well. So, you know, senior leadership is really you know, I, I like to give them credit that they see this kind of stuff happening. They do get people coming to them. But sometimes they're so driven by their bonus schemes, their, their KPIs, they're so afraid to, you know, be different. They're so afraid to um, tell somebody that, oh, this is not going to work, that they just tow the line, right? And so you have the mm-hmm. whole organization towing the line. And market shares never go away overnight, right? So you'll right. see a little bit of a drop and then, you know, they'll explain and then you see another drop and they'll explain and they'll think everything is okay. And then suddenly the market share is just too late to recover and you don't want to be in that position. So you, it's, it's expensive, it's tough, but what's the alternative? Do you want to just wait to die? Right, just kind of fade away. 
Exactly. I mean, you know, there, there are, as you said, you, you've seen that in business school, there are so many examples around us. You know, everybody talks about Nokia and Kodak. I mean, they're not, they're, you know, they're smart people, right? And Nokia Clearly. is a perfect, like, perfect example, right? They found that making the product themselves, which was a cheap phone, was too expensive for them. So they just go to China, buy third-party phones, and put the Nokia brand on them. I mean, I mean, where are you living that you think this is not going to come and bite you in the ass? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, of course it's going to come and bite you in the ass because you're teaching somebody how to sell the product, buying it from them, and they're, they're going to create their own product, right? Yeah. And then what are your engineering guys doing? So it's, 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 it's not an easy journey, Wes, but I, I, I'm very passionate being entre- about pushing entrepreneurship in companies because I've seen the consequences of poor management. I've seen the consequences of poor leadership, right? And typically, the guys at the top don't tend to get hurt. It's the middle and below that get hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's fundamentally unfair because they didn't do anything wrong. You know, they followed the rules. They did what you told them. And you told them, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Your whole life was telling them, don't do, don't do anything. Just do what I tell you. And then when it goes wrong, it becomes your fault. That's, <laughs> that's a little uh, wrong. I agree. I mean, yeah, especially if you're just carrying out orders. And, and look, I, I know people that have been, you know, eliminated from positions with companies uh, due to overall poor performance from the company. Right. So they've got to make cuts, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And and I've seen and heard the frustration with those people because they're you know, they're, they've got stories of, hey, I came to management. I had this idea. I suggested that we try this. I suggested that we pivot in this way. And it just fell on deaf ears. And then, you know, fast forward a little bit in time and, and the company's taken steps backwards. And now they're they're having to restructure and, and let people go. And and I and I just I know how frustrating that is for people. So I agree. So, so, I mean, you, you come in and you do these keynotes for, for companies. I I imagine, you know, you spend time talking with the leadership of these companies. I mean, and I'm sure every situation is different, but generally speaking, how are you able to, to help a company embrace more of this entrepreneurial mindset and then build that into their culture? Well, you know, one of the first things to do is to talk to their leadership team, right? Mm-hmm. So sample some of the people that are going to be attending the talk, understand from them what are the impediments, right? And then talk to the leadership about how, how much have they changed over the last year, over the last two years, and work with the leadership team to set a direction. And when you set a direction, look at all the nuts and bolts. What are you doing to stop people going in this direction, right? Are you not giving them enough resources? Or are you, you know, putting them out to dry when something doesn't go well? So you've got to look at all these little things. And then you've got to put money behind, behind these, these initiatives, right? So one of the companies I spoke to, you know, they, the, the senior management said that they are frustrated that the lower management are not doing their jobs fast enough, right? So they're still taking so long to turn over a, a, a project, turn over a client, et cetera. And... And so I said, so how much money have you spent on, you know, on the IT system, for example, in the last year? Not much. Okay. So how many procedures have you changed 
uh, none really. We still need 16 signatures. So, <laughs> I mean, okay, you haven't changed anything. You haven't invested any money. And, and then you want people to work better and, and more efficiently. I mean, you know, they, people, everybody knows, right? So if you're not being honest with your people, and you're not investing behind what you want done, you're not going to get results. It's kind of the old, the old Einstein saying, right? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and the interesting thing is different companies do it for different reasons, right? Some because they really think they're invincible. Mm. Others because the CEOs are not there for that long. And so, you know, all they're interested in doing is, is making their bonus payment at the end of the year or two years that they're there. But there are, on the other hand, a lot of companies that are evolving. And yeah. you know, many of these companies are evolving. They are changing. They are recognizing that the world is changing. And they are embracing their people. So it's about, you know, in a way, it's about respect, right? You've got to respect the people that work for you. Because you've got so many data points. I mean, it's not easy being in senior leadership, right? Everything can trip you up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you've got to develop a system that says, okay, let's find a way to evaluate each idea. Let's see whether this idea can be scaled. Let's see whether we have the, 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 the what I call self-efficacy, the ability to execute, right? And then you've got to put some money behind these projects and start moving. And then take away the stuff that gets in the way. I mean, I find that a lot of companies have what I call custodians of procedure. Mm. And, you know, they, they, were, they were wonderful people. I mean, you know, in accounts department, in, in, in HR, in legal. And they're all there to make sure that the company doesn't, does not get into trouble. Right. Yeah. But they're so efficient. They're so uh, in your face. Yeah. That, very rigid, you know, I would imagine. They're very rigid, right? So yeah. then the, the, the sales guys, the, the guys who deal with customers, they get caught in a bind. And very often what happens is that senior leadership or companies make promises to company to to their customers mm -hmm. that are beyond what they are able to deliver. Yeah, and then the, the 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 poor guys who deal with customers, the middle management, they get stuck. And you know they go to their boss and say, you know, we need more of this or we need more of that, and they're told, no, make do with what you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, yeah, it's not it's or, not procedures. Yeah, or I mean, we're using Zoom, right? Look at the example of Zoom. You know, Eric yeah. Yuan joined uh, Webex in, I think mm -hmm. it was 96, 97. He went to Silicon Valley. Webex was a small company, I think less than 20 people. It was acquired by Cisco. And they built this wonderful product that suits Cisco's customer base. You know, good security, you know, wonderful layout, move documents around, talk to different people, great controls. And, and he wanted to develop a simple product. Now, I can imagine the conversation that he would have had with the leadership team at Cisco, and they're saying, doesn't fit with what we want to do, um, doesn't fit with our customers. Um, but what about all the millions of other customers that you could get, right? And so he left with his team, and they were up and running. And today, Zoom with one product is, I think, has a market cap of about 100 billion. Mm -hmm. Webex has a market cap of 250 billion. I mean, go figure, right? So yeah. it's tough. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, not, not painting a rosy picture, but 
it, it also comes down to basic respect, right? You respect your people, you involve them, you, you're open with the information, you share, and then collectively you can come through, right? So I, I, I started my career in a shipyard a very long time ago. And we were, you know, it was in Singapore, labor costs are rising. And so we found that we were building the products that we we're building were not competitive. Mm. So we realized, I mean, the senior management, I, I, I ran one of the design teams, the senior management realized that we needed to build, build more expensive products, more, more value add in the products. And so we all upskilled, all of us, right? So we all upskilled, we started building better and better, more uh, deeper, deeper drilling rigs, we built semi-subs, we built other kind of vessels, and the shipyard survived. And I think, you know, I mean, 40 years after I left the shipyard, it's still there because they're still evolving, right? Because they sure. realize that it's a journey. Before that, I worked in a shipyard in the UK, very rigid. Mm. And eight years after I left, it shut down because everybody was so busy protecting their own turf. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, these are problems that all companies have. I mean, it is, it's easy to say, it's easy to fix. It's not easy to fix, but you've got to start. I would imagine it's very complex, especially given the size of the organization, how long they've been around. I would imagine, you know, the the structure of the organization. Is it a public company where you've got shareholders? Like I, I imagine that can yep. be some of the most difficult to come in and, and change because you've got so many shareholders looking at at their return, right? Um, but so it happens in these companies as well, right? So there's an yeah. example of Unilever, which is a public company. Mm-hmm. And under the CEO Paulson, they, they stopped doing quarterly reporting because it's, they said that this is a distraction. Wow. And they started to embrace more environmentally friendly products. So they were ahead of their time mm-hmm. yeah. to embrace. And, and sometimes there's pain. I mean, in, in our life also, there's pain, right? It's not always a straight upward journey. So a company is the same. Sometimes you've got to take a hit. Sometimes you've got to go sideways. Sometimes you've got to go back a bit. And, and as people build their careers, the same thing happens. Sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forwards. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, none of this is new, right? Companies have always right. been having to evolve and change. The market has always been changing and, and there's numerous examples it just so happens that the most recent example is, you know, this pandemic. But I would imagine that in part because of the pandemic, I think, you know, there was a lot of things already shifting in this direction even prior to the pandemic. But I would imagine that, you know, what you're talking to companies about today is is probably more important than it's ever been, especially from a retention standpoint. You know, if companies want to attract and keep talented people, I would guess that creating more of this entrepreneurial culture within their organization is more important than it's ever been because especially because of the pandemic, more companies are embracing embracing working remotely, right? So, you know, where someone decides to work is not as dependent on their location and where they live. And so there's not as many obstacles keeping someone from jumping ship and and we also just don't live in the same world that we did, you know, decades ago where you had career men and women, right? Where they would spend That's their right. entire career with one organization. And right. we all know how expensive it is 
to to have turnover, especially if it's constant turnover. So, I mean, am, am I looking at that the right way? Would you say that, it, you know, because of some of these shifts in the market, partly due to, to COVID, that this is more important than ever? I, I mean, I also think that like right now, entrepreneurship is cool, right? Like everyone yeah. wants to say they're an entrepreneur, <laughs> right. right? So if that's you work right. for a big corporate conglomerate that's not yeah. entrepreneurial minded at all, that's not cool, yeah. right? So some that's of the right. young, talented people are likely to, to go somewhere that yeah. is more entrepreneurial. So, I mean, is that that's right. something that you're that's seeing right. and, and talking to no, your very, clients very about? Much so. So, so, Wes, two things that you bring up. One is the fact that, you know, for years, companies have said, you, we're going to pay you to work from nine to five and we're going to pay you only if we can see you. I mean, we don't care what you do, but we want to see you. And, and, and so that was like, you know, that was the mantra. We pay you for yeah. hours that we can see you. Yeah. And, and then suddenly, and so we can't let you go and do things in your own time and we can't let you do things where you want because we can't see you. And so there are a whole bunch of companies that are stuck there. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole breed of companies that say, we, are, we can see your output and we can measure your output. And so therefore, we don't need to see you, mm-hmm. right? And, and the pandemic has made it possible for people to work anywhere because output is much more measurable today than it was in the past. And companies are much more aware of what their people do. So the, 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 the new companies out there have people working all over the world, right? So they're able to tap the best resources. Mm-hmm. And that's especially so for, for younger, more entrepreneurial companies. I mean, I was talking to a company the other day. They make a, uh, a women's product for the skin. It's organic. Okay. You know, <laughs> you know, even saying it is un- un- unbelievable, right? So they have somebody sitting in, in Hong Kong who's a co-founder. They have another co-founder in Toronto. They have a design and packaging team that designs the bottles, etc., and the packaging that's sitting in Paris. They have the packaging material made in Shenzhen. I mean, wow. going to the office is not about going into one room, right? It's going into a Zoom room sure, and, and meeting with everybody. So you have these companies. So you're absolutely spot on when you say that the pandemic has, has changed the way we work. The other thing that's happened is that because it's, relatively easy now to start a business and because it's relatively easy to raise money a lot of talented people have many more options than they had in the past right yeah. so yeah. they don't have all have to work for the ibms and the ciscos and you know the procter and gambles and the regular bankies right or even the googles of the world right they have lots yeah. of other options so the com- companies now are struggling with the fact that hey, they need to be attractive to people. And it's not the other way around, right? So if you're a company and you cannot get the right people, two things are going to happen. They're either going to go to your competitor or they're going to end up in a startup and they're going to compete with you. Mm -hmm. And these companies are a little bit stuck, right? Because they are used to hiring based on certain criteria. And those criteria were perhaps set in the past how do you hire somebody now who doesn't have a degree? Because, you know, people say, oh, you can't hire him. Because have I mean, I, I hired somebody recently on one of these um, uh, gig sites, you know. Yeah. It never dawned on me to ask her whether she has a degree in machine learning. 
because you were hired hey, you know, for a specific task. Yeah, and 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 you know, lots of people applying for the job. She stood out. Uh, I gave her a small project to do. She did mm-hmm. it beautifully, and so I gave her the rest of the work. I it never occurred to me. I still I haven't met her. I haven't seen her. I don't even know whether she has an engineering degree. I know she's really amazing at machine language conversion and translation. She can adjust tonality. She can do everything. Mm-hmm. And I still don't know whether she has a degree. <laughs> but you don't care, right? Because she's delivering the result. Yeah, exactly, that you exactly. Need. But you see, I'm I'm small enough to find her and engage right. her, and she likes working with me. Um, large companies have this problem. How do, today it's a major problem for large companies. How do you recruit somebody if you don't have, you know, if you don't, have, if you can't rely on this checkbox? Yeah. And if you're, yeah. if you're relying on a checkbox, you're not going to get the people you need. So, so, and again, I know for, you know, the clients that you work with, I, I would imagine it's different or at least a little bit different for, for every company, depending on where they are and, and what their immediate challenges are. But I mean, generally speaking, if, if you're a company out there today that they're hearing you talk about all of these challenges and that's resonating with them. And they're like, yep, that's us. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're stuck. We're kind of behind. Uh, we know we need to make some of these changes, but we don't even know where to get started. Like generally speaking, what, what are like the key first steps that a company should take to start setting some of these changes in motion, even yep. if it's not going to happen overnight? You know, I always say, let's just start with three things. Three things that you should stop doing. You know, have little groups amongst your people. And really, there's loads of things that they're doing that makes no sense. It's just that nobody's asked them and nobody's allowed them to stop it. It's just how they've so, always done it. Yeah. So, you know, have, have groups. Talk through things. List three things that you're going to stop doing. And then list three things that you want to do that you need to experiment. Because as you say, it's evolving, right? Market moves, you know, the consumer needs evolve, the aspirations evolve, products become much more complex, right? And so you, the consumer wants more. I mean, the other day I was looking at a company and they can now predict, you know, you do, you do stuff online, right? So it, mm-hmm. it tells you you're going you're gonna to get uh, delivery, you know, in three to five days. Yeah. <laughs> this company will tell you that you'll get the delivery on, at 11 a.m., on, on the third. Oh, they can like because tell you the time yeah, that it's going to come. They, they've, they've, they've taken all the data of the company and they can predict with reasonable accuracy when, when you will get delivery. And they tell the customer that. Interesting. So, so there is always a way of doing what you're doing and doing it better. With large companies, the, the challenge for them is people are uncomfortable because they're worried about their jobs. Yeah. And if you're serious about change, you've got to go in there and reassure people. You've got to reassure people that you're going to still have a job. It's just going to be a different job. And let's help find that different job in the organization. Wes here. You may have noticed there's a franchising theme to this podcast. And that's because franchising's had a massive impact on my life. And it's the very reason I'm walking my own path to freedom. In fact, one of my companies is a franchise consulting company 
where I work with people to help them understand franchising and determine if it might be a good fit for them. And if it is something they want to explore, then I help them navigate the entire investigative process and ultimately find a franchise business that's a great match for them. You know, the fact of the matter is there are thousands and thousands of franchise businesses out there today. And like anything, there are good ones and there are bad ones. Even out of the many, many great franchise companies, not every one of them would necessarily be a good fit for you. You know, buying a franchise is a huge decision and you don't want to wing it. I've helped many people buy franchise businesses over the years and my wife and I have bought and own franchises today and we plan to keep investing in franchise businesses. I love helping people understand this process and help them find a business that's going to be a great fit for them and help them accomplish their goals and ultimately create that freedom in their life that we're all looking for. The best part of all of this is that my services are free to the people I work with. And while I do love to contribute to charities and other great causes, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm compensated by the franchise companies I work with when I introduce them to someone that ends up becoming one of their franchisees. It's very similar to real estate, but with franchises. I have the privilege of working with hundreds and hundreds of the best franchise companies out there across practically every industry. So I can be absolutely confident that when I recommend someone to look at a franchise company, I'm introducing them to a very credible and proven company with a solid business model and great support. So if you think you might be interested in learning more about franchising and seeing if it might be right for you, I'd love to speak with you. Get in touch with me by email at wes at path2freedom.com, path, the number two, frdm.com. And also check out my website at path2freedom.com, spelled the same way, where I've got a ton of resources, both franchise and non-franchise related, that will help you start down your own path to freedom. And of course, subscribe to and follow the podcast for more great advice about business ownership. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in speaking with me, please share this podcast with them. Thanks for listening to my shameless plug. Now let's drop back into the episode. From hearing you talk, it, it sounds as though many of the, the companies that you've spoke to and worked to are, are maybe larger organizations. Um, and when I say larger, I mean like- yes you know, hundred, hundred or more employees and, and maybe yeah, I'm wrong, yeah. but you know, I know so much of my audience is either aspiring entrepreneurs or they're small business owners, right? Maybe they've got yes. three or four employees or, or 10 employees, but you know, in all likelihood, most of the people listening have fewer than a hundred employees. So yep. how, how can this concept be applied by, by a smaller business? And, and is it easier to apply some of these things more challenging or, or, you know, about the same? So you've got to set up, you know, the thing about employees, whether you're a large organization or a small organization, you know, we've been conditioned to treat everybody the same. Mm. And that's mistake number one. Because you find that there are some people who are more productive than others there are some people who are better at doing certain things than others, right? But we have this whole mentality of you do a poll and then everybody is treated the same, right? In small organizations, you know that you're far more reliant on a few people. Yeah. And you've got to be able to develop the skill to manage those people. It's like a football team, right? You, you, you can't have, you know, the best quarterback 
playing a different different position, right? Everybody has an expertise in their position. And so in a small business, you've got to be able to say, can I better use my people? Maybe they have some ideas of doing things better. Mm. Or maybe, you know, we're, we're doing this job. Can we do some other jobs, right? Yeah. So there are, it's, it's about having that conversation about expanding your revenue. It's about having that conversation about doing things smarter. So expand your revenue or do it smarter. I mean, I was talking to a company the other day and they take, um, they, they sign up clients and it takes them, it used to take them seven or eight days to bring a client on board. Okay. And, and so the marketing people were really, you know, getting a bit pissed that, you know, <laughs> we're creating the funnel, everybody's signing up. But our salespeople just take so long to get them on board. Yeah. And so they re-looked at the whole process and they've got it down now to 10 minutes. Wow. So people sometimes don't know that things can be done better. People sometimes don't know that things can be done faster. And that's in small companies. So there are lots and lots of tools now that are out there that you can use that can help you do the job faster or better. And there are always revenue extension opportunities, right? You've got to be able to explore those and you've got to share the rewards, right? Treat your people fairly. Don't, don't, yeah. don't hide. I mean, if, if you think that some people deserve to be paid better and it makes sense, be open about it. Sure. Yeah. Right? Don't, don't hide it because... People know, and all you're doing by hiding it is creating the impression that it's wrong. Yeah, and and by by proportionately rewarding your top producers, that's going to do one of two things to the people that are not producing as much. They're either going to be motivated to yes. raise the bar and yep. and produce at a higher level, or they're going to be like, oh, this isn't fair. And they're gonna they're gonna leave, and that's probably not the person you want in your organization, anyways. Or, or sometimes you know, in small organizations, you need these people, and you need to have that conversation. That are you not able to to produce? Are you not able to put that time in because you've got other stuff going on in your life? Then let's be fair to you and me. This compensation is fair because you're managing other stuff. You want time to do other things. So you should be happy. I, I recognize you. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not making it difficult for you, but you've got to recognize that the compensation is fair mm. and you should be happy because it gives you the time to do the other stuff that you want to do. Whereas the guys who are putting in the more effort and getting paid more, that's what they want. And then you, you know, you go through these phases of life. Maybe that's not something that you want this year. Maybe you want it next year. And so you've got to become it's entrepreneurial, right? You've got to become a little bit more flexible with your people and say, yeah, he wants the extra hours. He brings in the extra revenue. So I'm going to compensate him. And, and, and John, you know, he wants a little bit more time with his family. He's got a kid. So, you know, you've, you've got to be that, that, that level of flexibility and small organizations can do that better. What they, what I find they don't do is they don't tell people because they're somehow internally they're, <laughs> embarrassed about what they're doing or they don't think, I, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, Wes, you've got small businesses as well. I mean, yeah, what I holds mean, you back being, what holds one back from being transparent, particularly about compensation? 
I don't know. It's, it's a good question. And, and so, you know, what you're talking about, we own two different franchise businesses currently. One of them, we have no W-2 employees, right? So we have salespeople and we have installers that install the custom products that we sell. They're all compensated on a commission only basis, right? So they get a percentage of what they sell. They get a percentage of the job that they install. So it's very easy to see, all right, this person's selling more. So they're getting compensated more. This person is installing more. So they're getting compensated more. And, And it is flexible in the sense that, and we've learned this over the years. We didn't necessarily know this when we were starting out, but now when we're recruiting, when we're building the team, we position it as, you know, we want you to look at this as though you are running your own small business, right? And you're partnering with us, especially for the installers, right? We're the sales arm, you're the installation arm. And so by positioning it that way and setting the proper expectations, we do tend to attract people that are much more entrepreneurial. But one of the things we did probably, probably about a year ago was we set up our own little leaderboard, right? So now okay. we do share internally Hey, this is this is what you know. Our one we we call our salespeople designers in that business. Yes. So, hey, congratulations! Our our um, you know one designer sold X amount in product this past month. Also, based on some other criteria, she qualified for a bonus. So that's another you know twenty five hundred dollar bonus for the month. And and we put yeah. that out there to the team. And and where the idea came from was. In that franchise organization, we have a leaderboard for all of the franchisees, right? So you can go on there and see, uh, you know, different metrics, right? Different KPIs, revenue is the easiest one. Uh, Last month, this was the order, the rank in in the franchisees for how much revenue they generated. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing what that does from a cultural standpoint. It it creates this... this, like friendly competition almost, right? Is like, you know, you don't want to, I mean, obviously you want to generate as much revenue as possible as a business owner, but man, if you see the guy in in Cleveland, Ohio above you, and usually (laughs) he's below you, that that stings, man. You're like, no, I can't let, I can't let Cleveland beat us. We got to push hard for the rest of this month. Uh, So it, it seems to be doing the same thing within our small team. Uh, so to your point, you know, I think we stumbled onto some of that, but it took us a while to get there. Yeah. And, and no, where's the other thing? You know, I mean, I, I used to run a hotel business. And one of the things in the hotel business is that if you if you want to build occupancy, you know, the, the business had too much emphasis on saving costs. And if you save costs, you're not going to build good reviews. And if you don't build good reviews, you can't raise rates and you can't raise rates. You don't get revenue. I mean, it's, you know. We had the business the wrong way around. You know, we had too many finance people driving it from a cost perspective. And so we sort of turned around. We started giving bonuses to the hotels that, you know, some hotels said, oh, you know, it's not fair. You know, there's 20, 30 hotels in the chain. We can't meet these kind of revenue numbers. And so we broke down the compensation and we allocated a certain amount of money to each hotel. And we did it for three monthly periods. So we say, okay, in the next three months, we are going to rank all customer reviews. And if you hit X, we'll, we'll give you this payout. Mm. Revenue will be a separate payout, right? Yeah. So we did payouts based on uh, customer reviews. We did payouts based on revenues. And we did payouts 
interesting enough, we did payouts based on service recovery. So in hotel business, you know, you something goes wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, you try and do a service recovery, right? Give the 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 guests a breakfast or do something for them. You know, sure. ideally you do some something for them which doesn't cost you too much money. Right, but um, leaves a, a good impression. With but them. leaves a good impression, right? Yeah. And and so you can create in, in, in and I like small companies because you can start to create these kind of things. And you know, the first time you do it, it may not work. That's okay. Do it again. And then you'll find something. And, and I, I talked to one small business owner and he's like, you know, agonizing over his bonus scheme. And I'm like, why are you spending so much thinking time about it? I mean, just do it. You know, it's not casting, it's not the constitution, right? If it doesn't yeah, work over three it. months, change it. Exactly. But people get so caught up in, no, but if this happens and that happens, and I mean, like, what the hell? Make it clear. This is the three-month goal. Yeah. And if you, have, if you have stores, you can set aside a little bit of money for each store. Mm-hmm. And you can pay bonuses based on lots of things. We paid bonuses based on cleanliness. We paid bonuses based on all sorts of things. Well, and, and to your point, if it doesn't work, you can change it. I think that's a, a huge advantage that small businesses have in the context of what we're talking about today is that you can move so much faster. It's like the difference between turning a motorboat compared to turning a cruise ship. <laughs> you exactly, know, you can exactly, yeah. you can turn on a dime versus, you know, taking an hour just to adjust course a little bit. That's right. That's right. And, and, and you, they, you don't need to have so many discussions, right? You are small, you are small people. So the, the, the fine underlying principle is, you know, be honest, be open. Mm. And if you're honest and you're open and people naturally like to work in that environment. And that's why so many people work for small entrepreneurial companies because nobody can, you know, in a, in a small company, you can't hide news because everybody knows it. Yeah. It's right? true. You can't lie to your people. And so small companies have a natural advantage because they live based on sales. If they don't sell, there's no money, there's no salaries. Yeah. So honesty comes easily to small companies. So so does that work both ways though? If if the if the leadership of the company, you know, intentionally creates this this more honest, more transparent culture does that benefit the company as well? Because if their employees are frustrated with something or they're, they're not happy or they want to try something new, they feel encouraged and confident that they can go to the the owner of the business and, and be transparent and honest with them. Does it work both ways in your experience? You know, I think it does. And I think that sometimes owners are a little bit afraid to share uh, P&Ls because they think, you know, em- employees think that the company is making too much money, right? So we, we operated a bunch of hotels and some of the hotels were not doing well, always had the impression that, you know, and that's when, when I first started, we didn't share the P&Ls with hotel managers. So we started sharing the hotel, the P&Ls with hotel managers. And you need to have a conversation, right? There's an investment in the business. There, there is a right for the owner to make a decent amount of money because he's taken the risk. He's put up the investment. Absolutely. And, and you've got to respect that. And, and yeah, okay. Some, not everybody buys it, but you can't afford, I think not to do it. Yeah. I mean, you can take a public company and see, see how much 
money they make. Sure. Yeah, it's out there. And um, that's visible, right? Yeah, you know, we we do it with our managers. So so yes. the one business I said we don't have any employees. The the other business, you know, we do. It's more of a traditional staffing model, I guess you could say. And and we have a general manager. And I mean, I do P and L reviews with him monthly. Uh, but Great. his his compensation, or or at least a large portion of it, is tied to both revenue and profitability, because he runs day to day of that business. We want him thinking about it like an owner. Mm-hmm. But in order mm-hmm. for him to think about it like an owner. He's got to look at the things that owners look at, exactly you know, like a profit and loss statement. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, I think I mean, and I know in our businesses, like if we've had a record month, right, from a revenue standpoint, we share that with the team. Um, you know, in in our our business that's so sales intensive, we want our salespeople to know, hey, on average, this is how much it costs to get you an appointment, right? That's right. We want you to know walking in, hey, this is not a freebie. And, and if you don't capitalize on it, oh, no big deal. I'll get the next one. We're not going to beat you up if you don't if you don't sell. But I want you to remember it's not free to get you in there. Right. right. It costs That's money. Right. Um, yep. So we, so you we can't do, get you can't get the compensation just on the ones that you win, because who's going to pay the ones that you don't? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. We, I think there's probably room for us to get, to get a little bit better with that in terms of being more transparent. And, and I think, but I, I definitely have seen in, in our businesses and other, you know, smaller organizations that, that I've been a part of as, as an employee, I've seen how, you know, at least being transparent with the wins, yes. it's the team pumped up. Right. Of and, course. and, and I, I've seen where, you know, like sharing some things with with someone in a certain role within the company that that maybe their role, there's no reason for them to know these things in terms of them actually being able to do their role, but it helps them see more clearly how they're actually contributing to the overall success of the business. And so yep. they get a little more fired up about it, right? Because that's right. You know, sometimes, especially if you've got someone in more of an entry level position, like it's very easy to be like, Eh, you know, what I'm doing doesn't really matter. Like they don't see the big picture. They don't necessarily realize I do this. Well, that sets off this chain reaction of things that leads to us being successful. If you can show them that now, if you got the right person in place, they're going to be a lot more energetic when it comes to doing their role because they, they feel like they're contributing and they're making a difference. They understand how that is. And it's exactly what I talked to you about the you know, the example I gave about the onboarding, right? Yeah. So if I can reduce the onboarding from seven or eight days to 10 minutes, it means that I speed up the revenue generating process, right? So I get, if I bring it down to 10 minutes, I get six more days of revenue, right? Mm-hmm. Now the guy who's doing the onboarding, unless he understands this, as far as he's concerned, it's okay. So what's the big deal? I'm, I'm doing five a day and it takes 10, seven days, eight days. So, you know, Nobody sat down with him and said, hey, you know, six days of revenue, if you can bring this down to one day. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, we take, you know, sometimes as owners, we take these things for granted. We think that everybody knows and thinks the way we think. Yes. And, and, and sometimes they don't, right? So I, 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 had, a, I had a manager who, who used to run one of the regions. And he was extremely frustrated about, you know, a couple of things that was going on in the, in the hotel, in, in one of the hotels. 
And so, you know, <laughs> every day John would come and complain about Sheila. And I'm like, I said, John, you've got to stop this, right? <laughs> either, either you fire Sheila or maybe you haven't thought about it, but maybe Sheila doesn't really know what is exactly that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so why don't you just spend one day with Sheila and see if can, she can get it done. If she can get it done, then you know the problem is not that she didn't want to do it. She didn't know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. But you're beating yourself up. You're beating her up. And you're not making any progress. So sometimes it's about, yeah, I, some people don't know how to do certain things. It's a great point. Not, you know, and, and so maybe you just need to walk with them. And, yeah. and you see the, you know, in, in your business, you see that the, the guys that are really successful, and I, and I see a lot of small contracting businesses, the guys that are really successful are the bosses who, who spend time with the people that they work with. They're, they're okay to pick up a shovel. They're okay to drive a delivery truck. They're okay to do these kind of things. Definitely. Because, because it gives them a, an insight. And I, I, know, I always tell people that, you know, it's frustrating. I feel, well, I, it's, is it frustrating or are you learning? And maybe by doing it, you're learning a way of doing it better that Sheila didn't know. Totally agree with that. And, and I think it also motivates the hell out of your team if they see that you're not above, you know, doing what you're asking them to do. Correct. Correct. I mean, you know, you see that in the military, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. The guy in charge goes in. He doesn't yeah. stand in the back and say, you know, squad, you guys go in. I'm going to have my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. Best, best of luck out there. Um, <laughs> no, I, I love this topic and, and, you know, we could talk about it for, for hours. I'm sure I want to be respectful of your time. And, and there is one other thing I wanted to, to give you a chance to speak to. Um, you co-authored a book. Uh, it's called That's the nine entrepreneurisms. Um, That's right. Can you, can you give us like a, a quick overview of the premise yep. of the book and, and maybe run us through what these nine entrepreneurisms are that, that you and your co-author identified? Sure. So we, we looked at a lot of entrepreneurs and we looked at organizations. We did about 100 interviews and we said, what is it that entrepreneurs do that make them different? Mm. Because the, the, the thesis that we had is it's not, it's not that entrepreneurs you know, are special people. Yes, many of them are and many of them are exceptional. But there are many things that they do that you can replicate, that mm-hmm. you can learn, both as an individual and as an organization. Okay. And we basically distilled, down, distilled this you know, mega list down to nine things. So the nine things very quickly are self-efficacy, risk-taking, and passion. And these are the first three, which are normally associated with entrepreneurs, right? So mm-hmm. self-efficacy is about your ab- ability, your capability, et cetera, within you, within your team, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Risk-taking is something that you do, right? You do all the time. So you've got to be able to understand risk. You've got to be able to mitigate the risk. You've got to be able to cordon the risk, but you have to take risk. That's right. And passion, right? Passion is what drives you. So these these three are most closely associated with entrepreneurs, self-efficacy, risk-taking, and passion. In large organizations, you can put passion back by getting people to really understand why are you in business? A lot of companies have forgotten, Mm. right? Who are you helping? Yeah. Who are you? And, and that's so. So those are the first three. The second are innovation, opportunism, and learning. And these go together. So you've got to be innovative. You've got to take opportunities when they come. And if you don't learn from those two, then you don't get anything. Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, the next three. 
And the last three are realism, persuasion, and execution. And persuasion is the whole gambit of, of listening, of selling, of understanding. And in small businesses, persuasion is often about listening rather than selling, right? So you can take two tracks on that. I, I find that persuasion is about understanding the problem that the other party faces mm -hmm. and can you solve it? If you can't solve it, you might as well walk away because, you know, chase, as you say, chasing, chasing dead ends is not, is not comfortable, it's not nice, it's expensive. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you have a client that you don't really think fits, then why do you waste time on them? That's right. So that's a book. I mean, uh, we, we, we spend some time writing it. We, we hope that companies will take it on board and just do things differently as they have done, right? So the pandemic has answered a question that every entrepreneur, entrepreneur knows. If it can't be done this way, then which way can it be done? That's right. Yeah. And, and companies, everybody's learned that now. And entrepreneurs have always known that. If it can't be done this way, there has to be a way it can be done. So, you know, that's the book sort of in, in, a, in a nutshell. Well, I, I love it. And, and I mean, it sounds like this is a book that, you know, I, I don't know exactly who the target audience is. I've got it, uh, a copy of it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But um, it sounds like this is a book that an individual could read, a small business owner could read a large organization, their leadership team could read. There's, there's something that's applicable uh, to just about anyone that, that picks it up, uh, you know, if you're, you're business-minded or, or just looking to grow. That's right. That's right. I mean, I have a small business owner that operates a small fleet of uh, buses. Mm -hmm. And he says he reads it every, every six or eight months. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I've got several books that, that I try to read once a year because they're, they're so uh, applicable on an ongoing basis. Um, yep. so, well, I'm excited to, to check it out myself. Um, and it very well may be one that I come back to on a regular basis. Um, Anwar, this has been, been amazing before I let you go. Um, I do what I call a lightning round at the end sure. of every episode. So these are the same four questions that I ask every guest, uh, that joins me on the show. Uh, so we'll run through those and then I want to have you tell people where they can connect with you, learn more about you, get the book, et cetera. But um, the, the first question of the lightning round is simply, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And that could be business advice or general life advice. Okay. So many years ago, I spent some time in a company where I was selling marine equipment Okay, and I, and I'd gone to my previous employer, which was the shipyard. And uh, I met my ex-boss and he said, you know, this is a dead end. And I'm like, but Charlie, what do you mean? He says, no, he says, you know, you're this type of guy that doesn't give up, but sometimes you just have to give up. So stop doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and you took so, the advice? And I took the advice, right? Okay. So I, I, I quit the job and I, and, I, and, I, and I went away and did something else. Yeah, no, I, I think that is good advice. I've, I've certainly had instances in my life where, you know, I had to, to come to the hard realization that, hey, I've been working hard, but this isn't getting me where I want to go. And it's time to to adjust course. Great advice. Um, so I'm curious. I know it's it's uh, nighttime where where you are now, morning time for me. But 
Uh, I'm curious if you have any sort of a morning routine, anything that you try to do every morning to prime yourself for a successful day. Well, I, I, I don't have a very rigid routine in terms of, of the time I get up or, you know, I, 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 but I try to spend the first 20 minutes in that period where I'm trying to get up to think about what am I going to do today? Mm-hmm. And I find that is a little bit of clarity Yeah, where, where you're sort of just about to get, I mean, I don't bounce out of bed. So I, I, I like that, that sort of half an hour, think about what you want to do. Some people get up and meditate. I'm not one of those guys. Yeah. I've tried it. It's uh it's a hard one for me to, to, to stick with long-term, but no, that's why I like the question is, is everyone's got something different that works for them. I think the, the key for successful people is they find some way to take a more proactive approach to the day instead of just being completely reactive to whatever the day throws at them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, we've talked about your book, uh, but I'm curious uh, what book you might be reading right now. So I'm reading a mammoth of a book now. It's called Titan. And okay. it is the bio- biography of uh, John D. Rockefeller. And I... he is amazing. I mean, he, he, you know, he's, he's just such an insanely brilliant. At the same time, you know, he's sort of half good, half bad. He's as good yeah. as he is good and as bad as he is bad. But it's a brilliant book. So I, I listened to it on Audible. I think oh, really? Was, okay. Yeah. And I you know what? I, if I'm being honest, I don't think I got all the way through it. But, you it's know, 700 pages. Yeah. On Audible, you know, like it, it tells you the length of the book in hours. And I want to say this was I was going to try to pull it up real quick. I want to say this was like 40 some hours. <laughs> if you listen to it at like the the regular pace, I usually listen to Audible on on like 2.0 speed. So you got to get okay. through it in half the time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it is a mammoth of a book, but but very interesting. I set a like a goal last year. I wanted to read more biographies or autobiographies. So I did his yep. and one on Benjamin Franklin and and a few other people. But fa- he, it is he, fascinating. I think he wrote he wrote the one on Hamilton as well. And yeah, um, and is you know, it Isaacson? Is it Walter Isaacson that wrote that one? Oh, I know he's done no. a lot of. It was uh, Roy. No, Ron. Ron. It's it's by Ron something. I forget the name now. Yeah, here you go. Yeah, Ron Chernow. Ron Chernow. He's written a number of books, and the detail level of detail he gets to is insane. Every business trick that you can think of, Rockefeller used it first. Yeah, it is. Um, I just pulled it up here. Oh, it's, I don't know. Okay, yeah, so it's it's like a 40-hour, 40 40-some-hour 40 book if you listen to it at regular speed. Um, I, I have 10 hours left, so I didn't, I got like three quarters <laughs> of the way through it. <laughs> but, so. you know, I, I, the, lat, the latter part deals more with the, the grandkids, etc. So that wasn't so interesting for me. But the, the earlier part, as he built his business, you know, in, in 18, I think by 1870, you know, 1890, he controlled 90% of the refining capacity in America, 85% of global trade in oil. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. Massive, massive. And, and I mean, the and dollar, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, you see a parallel now with with the internet companies, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's an interesting read. Yeah, it is. I I uh, I think I got to a point where I was like, I just need need something different for a while, but I, I probably need to circle back and uh, and finish it out. So, um, very cool. Well, last question, and and then I will uh, let you tell people where they can connect with you, but. Um, what is your definition of freedom and are you living it? I, my definition of freedom is to have the, you know, to have sufficient financial standing so that you can do what you want to do. Um, I would say I'm close, not exactly there. I mean, I, I'd like to do more with the companies. I'd like to do more of that. So, but this is, you know, I mean, you go through life and this, this is the thing that you want to do. You want to be able to help people build better companies. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that definition. And, and look, I think for, for most, uh, you know, successful entrepreneurial minded type people, it's something you're always chasing a little bit. I don't know if you ever get to a point where you're like, I've done everything I want to do. I'm, I'm good right here. I think you're always pushing for, for a little bit more that's and right. maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I, I don't know, but um, no, I, that's, I like that's that. Too, that, that. Yeah. That becomes philosophical, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is, a little, you know, little deeper. And, yeah. Do we reach the end and say, okay, that's it. Let's check out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I go back and forth on whether that's a, a good thing or not, but. Well, you said you, you wanted to retire by 40, right? I don't know if I said that or not. I, I think I'd get bored out of my mind. Um, okay. And I'd probably drive my wife absolutely crazy. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's about six years for me. No, I'm, I'm probably gonna uh, keep, keep doing something. I, I think, you know, at some point we've, I've worked for franchisors uh, we own franchise businesses. You know, we plan yep. to keep kind of investing in franchise businesses and operating them at a high level. But, you know, at some point, I think I'd like to to get involved with a really cool concept and and franchise it from the ground up um, and kind yep. of be on the, the ground floor, you know, leadership of a franchise organization, you know, if it's the right concept, because it, it can be such a good way for for people to get into business for themselves. And, and when franchising is done right, and unfortunately, there's, there's, in my opinion, too many franchise organizations that don't do it right. But when it's done right, it's a beautiful partnership and it's a beautiful business model. Um, it, is. it is. Everyone's mutually aligned. And, and so I've been fortunate to work for some really good franchise organizations. We own franchises and really good organizations. And I've seen thousands of franchise companies very close up. So I've seen, you know, you made the comment earlier and I wanted to, to highlight it. You said, you know, you can learn from a great boss. You can also learn from, from a bad boss. Right. And, and I've yep. always believed that, you know, you can learn from every one you interact with, right. You're going to learn maybe something good to do, but you may learn something not to do either way you're learning. Uh, so I've been able to do that with franchise organizations. So I feel like I've really, not that I know it all, but I've got a really good sense of, you know, this is how to, build a franchise organization. This is how to take good care of your franchisees and put them in a mm-hmm. position to be successful. And when you do that, the franchisor benefits and grows too. So that's, that's something that I want to want to do uh, before I uh, kick back and, and relax. So, okay. um, and that's probably <laughs> a 10 year push at least to do it right. 
Indeed. Indeed. Well, Anmar, where where can people connect with you? Where can they learn more about your services? Uh, yep. Where can they find the book? If they want, if they want to get more, where can they find it? Okay, I'm easiest to contact on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me on my URL, which is my name, anwarjomoboy.com. Okay, we'll put book, that in the show nine, notes. Yeah, and my book, Nine Entrepreneurisms, is available on Amazon. Awesome. Well, we will link all of that in the show notes to make it easy for people to find you. Anwar, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. It's been great getting to know you a little bit. I hope we can stay in touch for sure. Um, but keep doing what you're doing, man, because I think you know what you're helping companies figure out is is absolutely critical. Um, and, I, and I think it's good for everyone involved. So really appreciate the work that you're doing and appreciate you making time to drop in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Thanks for having me, Wes. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.